morning, everyone. It's great to have everybody here for Coffee with Jim and James. This is a very special day for me, James. I don't know if you know this. Before we bring Tal in, I want to tell a little story that I would not be here today on this podcast where I am had it not been for a lot of uh, interaction or whatever from Tal in 2008. You want to hear more? I was at... I was wow. in Minnesota Center Point Operations, had the opportunity to come down to Houston with a group called Alternative Fuels, which was one of Tal's group. Tal at the time, at the time was VP over GETS, Gas Engineering and Technical Services. So half the company reported up to Tal. And I got to have the opportunity to relocate to Houston, started my career there, with turned into Mobile Energy Solutions which led to me being more and more into CNG and LNG. And literally, Tal, I'm serious. Thank you, my friend. That you, you so hold, hold you on, mean. Tal. So this is your fault. <laughs> this is That's what fault. I'm hearing. Yeah, well, you know, when I, first, when I first met Jim, I mean, look, this guy has a lot of, I mean, like myself, he has a lot of passion. And oh. uh, we needed, look, I needed somebody, I needed somebody to come in and help jumpstart that that whole uh that whole side of the business and and jim was hey he was hey look he was a little reluctant about coming to houston i mean look the guys from the from the great white north i mean he was used to tromping around in snowshoes and and whatnot and he was like what the heck am i gonna do down here in houston you know i said hey man get a pair of short pants man learn how to barbecue learn how to barbecue and and, you know and and as soon as he got that i mean he was a texan after that i mean he's he's a natural Mm -hmm. he's a natural texan now I, I no, not anymore. Not anymore. Well, uh, I might hey, be man. a hey, Jim, but Jim's, Jim's welcome in Texas anytime. He's welcome in Texas anytime. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Tal, it's great Tal. to have you here today. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the show, sir. Tal, do me a favor. We always start with an origin story, and I couldn't wait to hear yours. Well, okay. So I'll go back a little bit so you'll understand a little bit of my background. And so you maybe understand the bias that is just built into me from the beginning. I mean, I grew up military. Okay. So my dad, my dad did the whole Vietnam thing and I moved around a lot as a kid. Okay. So I had to learn how to make friends at an early age. Uh, you know, I was the kid that went and knocked on doors. Do you have any kids that live here? You know, <laughs> so I was that I was that guy, and uh, so we we moved around a lot, and uh, we finally settled down in Northeast Texas. You know, Northeast Texas, um, where my mother grew up, and that's where I spent my time. And you know, over the years, we'll kind of skip forward, but uh, you know, uh, one story I do want to tell you is I met my wife in the first grade really? I have known my I have known my wife since the first grade and we just and we just celebrated our 39th anniversary so uh what a deal wow. and I got two great grandkids now so it, it's been good but I've, I've known her that long and uh to, to, to kind of fast forward you know how did I end up in the gas industry yeah. right how did I end up in the gas industry well, um, I went to Texas A&M. I got convinced by a friend. I did not want to go to a large college. I wanted to go to a small college. I was going to go to Lamar University in Beaumont. I did not want to go to a big college. I visited Texas, and I'm like, that is not for me. Uh, but I had a friend of mine convince me, hey, you need to go by Texas A&M and, and look at that. You think you'd really like it. 
I ended up going there and I was like, even though it's a big campus, it had a small feel, culture fit where I'd come from. I ended up going to Texas A&M and back in the 80s, if you'll remember back in the 80s, we're a little bit like where we are right now. I mean, the housing market was, you know, I mean, we're not there yet, but in, back in the 80s, savings and loan debacle, uh, yep. you know, you had the economy was in a bind. Uh, the jobs I had coming out of college was, okay, go to California or join the Navy. You know, the Navy was like, hey, Tal, we'll pay for your last year of college if you'll be on a nuclear submarine for six months out of the year. And uh, I said, well, I want to stay married to my wife, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I had this company called Intex back then in 85. Intex tell me, hey, uh, come work for us. We're a gas utility. And you know, I had these grand visions of I wanted to work for, you know, Lockheed or General Dynamics. I wanted to do real hardcore engineering. And I really didn't have an appreciation for that. But but Intex gave me an opportunity to come to work in Texas. And it really forced me to think about um, what did I really want to do long term in my life? Did I really want to be in a cubicle doing engineering work my entire career? What did I really want to do? And, and Intex at that time offered me and said, hey, listen, we hire engineers for engineers, but we also hire you to develop into leaders. That's what we really want you to do long term is be a leader. And I'm like, OK, well, after about a couple of years, I was into the job. I, it really it, it really kicked into me on what what this really is. This business is not overly complicated when you look at one main and one service and one meter to one house and deliver energy. It's not that complicated. But, but when you try to do it four million times like we do, it's a big deal. And what I also came to an appreciation about was if our industry, any gas company, any electric company, anybody delivering energy to society, if we don't do our job every day very well, things don't happen. Yep. This podcast does not happen. Yep. Uh, you know, people don't have jobs. People don't have phone service. People don't have, you know, lights. You know, they can't heat their water. They can't take care of their families. And and so when I told you about the bias I had towards a military background and that sense of duty, that kind of kicked in and said, you know, I really, I really like what we're about. I can come to work every day and feel good about what I do is contributing to the betterment of my local city, the state I live in, and the country I live in, and it gives us as a country a competitive advantage. And uh, I found a lot of pride in that, you know. And and so why have I stayed in the industry so long? That's why I've had plenty of opportunities to move outside. Uh, but what I do is I just try to take the innovative thinking and uh, uh, creative thinking and scratch that engineering itch, you know, on my personal activities as well as uh, at work and 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 stay grounded in what's important. And that's delivering safe and reliable energy to to our society. I, I'll, I'll say to our customers, but really it's to our society. So that, that maybe that gives you a little bit of background of what I'm about. And it shows and, and your passion shows. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, Tal, the innovation, again, I think you're absolutely right that a lot of folks think of, oh, it's just a meter set, you know, it's just a line in the ground, but all the things right. that come about of that, and we see so much right. news these days where people are saying, oh, we can do everything with electric. And I, I personally, I like 
uh, a diversified energy portfolio. I think there's a right. lot of different things that can happen, but right. it'd be is it would be I'd be wrong to say we could do everything electric, or I could be wrong saying we could do everything natural gas. We need to have that balance and all that. And I think getting back to Atel, you know, what's your thoughts on that with you know the diversity and a like a portfolio as the United States, if not even the world. You know how we do need different energy sources. Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get too political about uh, some of That's the issues. Fine. But you, but you understand, you understand that the that uh, the way much of society is going, and where some of the pressures are coming from the investor uh, community, uh, is putting more and more pressure on carbon. Okay. Mm-hmm. But but eventually, people are going to have to come to the reality of of physics. Okay, and understand that if we are growing as a country, if population is growing, energy needs are going up. Yep. So you 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 are not going to solve this problem by being efficient alone. Efficiency is always important. I'm I, I happen to be a conservationist. I, I I don't consider myself an environmentalist. I consider myself a conservationist. I believe in in good stewardship. Yep. Uh, and and the point you made about having a diverse supply. Uh, that's good for a couple of reasons. It's good. It's good strategically for a country to be that way. It's good uh, from a security perspective to have that. And, and and I think a lot of people that make the arguments that we're going to completely electrify everything are ignoring that aspect as well as the economic aspect. There is no way that you are going to supplement the heating load in a place like Minnesota with electricity. The the, the actual grid investment would drive electric rates through the roof and we and we know that and we also know that through physics that 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 using the energy at the source of consumption is the most efficient way to do it okay and so therefore natural gas is a natural solution for that uh particular problem um now around uh, energy diversification Look, I am all for wind and solar. I have no issues with that. It should compete in the in the market of ideas and compete in the economic space uh, to compete for that. Is it part of the solution? Absolutely, I think it's part of the solution. Does it meet our reliability issues? No. We cannot count on the wind blowing and the sun to come out. It, it just is not going to happen. And, and as, as you know, when we were at TGA, uh, the thing when I was the chair there was you know, natural gas, the backbone of energy delivery, okay? It is the backbone. And I would also argue that that, that nuclear has a, has a play in that space because it's very reliable, but it brings its own set of risk and concerns, societal concerns about how to deal with, uh, how to deal with that, um, the disposal of it, if you sure. will. So, sure. but, but absolutely the answer is in looking at all energy solutions, uh, being a good uh, conservationist and being a good steward of the resource. I don't care what the resource is, water, yep. you know, uh, natural gas, oil, uh, electricity. We should always be striving to be efficient. Uh, and that's in the best interest of society. It's in the best interest of, of customers. And hey, I really Tal, like Tal, to use before, Go ahead. Hey, Jim, before, before you jump in, Tal, I just want to clarify something. How many years in the industry now? For you, thirty-seven uh, next week. 
Really? This isn't like a hot take from, you know, somebody just showed up. This is Tau Center's 37 years in. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Just want to make sure people know. That's a a good clarifier. That's a very good clarifier. I've I've, I've had the honor of working in most of our jurisdictions at uh, Centerpoint and its legacy legacy companies. I've I've worked in rural areas. I've worked in large metropolitan areas. So I've, I've seen a lot, good and bad. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot. I, I want to hit on something that you hit on the TGA, right? the TGA, the Texas Gas Association. Yeah. You know, in in the southern United States, the gas associations, state gas associations are very big and very, you know, take an active role uh, in a lot of things. You've been very active. Centerpoint's been very active in the TGA for decades. I mean, ever since I moved down in 2008 and nine, that's what I right. involved What's your what is your thoughts about associations, especially the TGA? You were uh, chair last year, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they vary by, by state to state. You know, certainly nationally, AGA and SGA have a huge presence. AGA yeah. is is probably more postured to be in the in the form of a of a lobbyist, if you will, uh, yep. and connected. They do a lot of good work around standards. But, uh, benchmarking, things of that nature. SGA has traditionally been positioned more of an educational organization, sales and marketing, uh, does some great, great work in that space. Uh, TGA, like a local state uh, gas association, those those groups have been, have been geared more of helping the municipal and small operators. So really you have to have some of the larger operators step up uh, and, and take a lead role in helping them out, you know, as you know, many of the small cities and operators that we have, they, they don't have large staffs, they don't have environmental staffs, they don't have engineering staffs, and, and they don't have a good conduit to participate on a national or a regional level with SGA or AGA. They don't have the resources, they're not funded to do that. So state associations provide a good avenue for that. They've also been a good avenue to help uh, raise awareness and help develop um, you know, future leaders and future people into into the industry. You know, I think one of the biggest things that probably TGA has done an excellent job on is around the scholarship program that they, that they help facilitate. Uh, You know, certainly, certainly they bring uh, uh, vendors in, new technology in to allow those small operators to see it and to help uh, get better, you know, get ideas. But I, I think around the educational space uh, locally, as well as the developing leaders, uh, is it, probably one of its core benefits that it offers uh, offers for the state. It, it doesn't typically act as a lobbyist for state legislation and things like that. Usually, uh, usually those are being worked uh, through normal channels, through normal regulatory channels with the reg- uh, specific companies in the state. But uh, they try to stay out of that that political aspect of it which is which is always good but i want to hit on something you hit on the scholarship and i know i believe you're also in charge of the scholarship committee is that i'm not in charge of it but i am on the board okay got it and but those are correct me if i'm wrong aren't there about 10 2500 scholarships a year given out is that is that correct? at least at least and then at least yeah and tga's done such a good job of, of fundraising in that space uh, that they're closely approaching the ability to actually have it as set up as a trust and be able to self-fund itself, which is which is a uh, which is really a great accomplishment to be able to pull that off. So it take it takes the pressure off of having to try to have to have fundraising events all the time to have to have to fund that effort. So 
I think they've done a nice job there. Like I said, if I if I had to give AGA really big kudos on anything, our TGA would be on uh, on the scholarship fund. Yeah. They've really done a nice job with that. And I tell you, uh, and for the audience, you know, going to the yearly O and M conference um, for the Texas Gas Association, a few times uh, they brought in some of the recipients of the scholarship, so we actually get to meet them. And they're impressive. They're, some of those, I mean, let's say some of them, all of them are very, very impressive. Some of their stories are even more inspirational yeah. uh, than than others. Uh, I had the I had the pleasure of being able to do that one year, actually reviewing those. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing when you sit there and read the write ups on some of these kids and these young people who are coming up. I mean, very, very impressive. It actually gives you hope. It actually gives you hope for the future when you see that kind of talent coming up. It's uh, funny. Tal, it it's, funny it's funny you say that Coleman reviewed some of them this year, our, our CEO. And so I actually got to see some of them by proxy and mm -hmm. you're, you're dead on. I was so impressed by the future that's coming. Uh, yeah. with this group it's it makes you yeah. feel good yeah uh tal when we were at tga one thing we picked up on was just uh and you'll laugh at this especially after the pre-show how passionate you are uh <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a code word for something passionate yeah 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 but Sal, uh, we we joke about it, and you can that's, let that's it by a code in. word for opinionated and uh, <laughs> loud. I said loud, yeah, ball headed. I'm also, uh, you know, I fall in that category too. Uh, but Tal, where does that stem from? You're a champion of natural gas. You're a champion of leadership. Sitting at the table, getting involved. Tal, where does that stem from? Well, I mean, fundamentally, I think I, I, you know, I'll just. It really fundamentally comes from my upbringing and my and my faith. Okay, I mean that's where it comes from. Uh, I think just internally, I just inherently uh, I, I hate failure. Okay, uh, I hate uh, wasted motion. I like to get to the point and get results, uh, but I also don't like to leave, you know, dead bodies around. I don't believe in that. I do. I do believe that teamwork and collaboration, uh, more heads, giving it thought gives you better, better perspective and gives you a better solution. Uh, but for, but for whatever reason, the good Lord blessed me with a, a, a mind and a, and a desire to just solve problems. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, once once I just once I have defined a problem, I don't I don't know. It just kicks in that we've got to get it solved, and uh, and we've got to solve the problem. And I, I just am very results oriented. I'm just very I'm just very uh, results oriented. I, I don't I don't try to approach that through an authority authoritative uh, style, but more through a, a transparency and collaborative style. Um, I. I I fundamentally learned over my career that if you're trying to get anybody to do anything or to get bought into anything, uh, and, and I learned this, it probably took me about 15 years in my career to actually learn this because as an engineer, you come out wanting to solve a problem. You just want to tell people how to do something and what to do, right? How and what you just want to tell them how and what, you know, you got it, do this, this way and do this way and your problem solved. Uh, that works in the moment, but it doesn't work to sustain a process or to sustain it, to sustain a change. And what I've learned over the years, the important piece is to say why. 
why first? Lead with why. Why are we even here? Why are we even having this conversation? Why is this even important? Because if, if people will buy into the why, if they, if they acknowledge the why and agree with the why, the how and what and when and all that naturally flow after that. And they become facilitators of helping you achieve what it is you're trying to do. But if you lead with a how and a what, if you start saying what we're going to do is this, this, and this, and we need to do this and we need to do that. They don't have any context of why we're even having this conversation. So what they do is they resort back to what their why is they haven't bought in. So I, I think that's where some of it comes from is you just, I've, I've learned over the years that that's, that's a good approach to build teamwork and collaboration and to get buy-in and to come up with a better solution. And, and, because I have passion for, you know, for solving problems, I, I, uh, it just comes out that way. I don't, you know, I don't know how to, how else to explain it, but it, it fundamentally probably came from my upbringing and, uh, in my faith, uh, taught at an early age about being somewhat self-reliant, you know, being, you know, uh, not accepting, not accepting failure, learn from failure, but not accept it. Okay. Uh, be humble in your failures and your successes, but not be, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't use it. Don't become a victim. I mean, I, listen, I, I don't believe in labeling yourself as a victim. I mean, did there bad things happen to good people and bad things happen in life? Yep. But, uh, you have to choose, you personally have to choose, are you going to let that dictate your outcomes or not? Um, I, I think that's learned at an early stage of life. Some people learn it later, but I think it's, it's, it's something that has to be instilled early. Uh, two uh, things. Boy, that sounded weird. Is that on my side or is that Tal? That's probably, that was probably me. I hit the table. That's all right. That's all right. Two things. I just going to, uh, for the audience, Tal, I'm going to take you back real quick. January 2010. Does that ring a bell when the temperature in Houston went down to 25 degrees? Do you remember that? It wasn't 2010. Was it nine? Uh, well, the, 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 biggest, the biggest cold weather that I remember in Houston was in 89 and 97. Okay. And then the coldest was last year. It got it got down pretty cold last year. Was was last year? Uh, we had winter storm Uri come through. Well, when you went when you went to January of 2010, I was in Min I was in Minnesota in 2010. Maybe in 2010. Maybe it was 2009. It was right after I moved down from Minnesota, and I was thinking, like you said, you know, buy some golf shorts. You know, you don't have winters here, and I remember oh, yeah. you were still here. And yeah. that's when it hit, it was it was probably 2009. And I yeah. remember going down to the tower and we were running CNG trucks and you were, you know, dressed yeah, yeah. In jeans. it was like a war, uh, a war room. You had maps out. You were looking <laughs> at, uh, you know, we got to we got to close this valve. We have to open that valve. Right, right, you were right. getting people in the room saying, what do you think about going over here? And your style was very much, you know, what do you think? How can we do it? Here's the problem. We don't have gas in 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 the uh the nice neighborhood over here because everybody's running their pool heaters you remember that <laughs> yeah 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 so anyways yeah. i just you you are passionate, a great leader passionate leader oh yeah uh, back to that day i remember you know being in part of that and witnessing that that's first thing second 
it's, it, I, I can't take it any longer. I, I, I keep looking at your screen and I see this beautiful car behind yeah. you. What is yeah. that? Is that, did you go to like a auto show? Is that like one of those things that are on uh, auction for a million dollars? What is that? Uh, no, it's not a million dollars. That, that's, that's my car. Uh, it's a 69 Camaro. Uh, originally was a rally sports so it has the flip headlights on it. Uh, but I built it back as a resto mod. So it's got all, it looks generally stock from the outside, but there's nothing stock about that car. And so 570 horsepower motor with a five speed and tricked out suspension. It's, it's a nice ride, but I, I built that car myself. I, I did. It's easier to say what I didn't do on that car than it is to what uh, I did do. Uh, I did not install the exhaust because I don't have a pipe bender at the house. And I did not um, put the headliner in. I had a upholstery shop do that. And I, and I did not literally stitch the leather seats in it. I had an upholstery shop do that. But everything else I built, I painted, I assembled. Um, it turned out nice. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice build. It took me two and a half years to build it. Uh, I got the car out of Des Moines, Iowa, and then had to fix a bunch of rust on it, and new sheet metal and whatnot. But uh, we've, Jimmy, we, we've got a hook towel up with Chris Isaacson. Oh yeah, Chris loves Chris. Chris restores old Broncos. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are hot right now. Broncos are hot right now. I mean, I'll send you some pictures. Are really hot right now. Yeah, I'll have to pull some pictures and send your way. I'll hook y'all yeah. up. Y'all can geek out about it. That's I just impressive. I just started a build on a '66 Chevelle and uh, just got the frame back from powder coat last week. And uh, wow. I've got the I've got the body over in Brenham, Texas, right now, getting dipped and getting all the rust and paint and stuff off of it before we start doing that one. Chevelle, did you say '66 Chevelle? Chevelles are See, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a '66 Chevelle. We're gonna we're gonna make a street cruiser out of that one. This might be our number one episode, just because of this little portion. We may have to just edit this portion out. Just keep it down to this. I mean, yeah, we're just yeah, gonna have to no, have a car show. Yeah, I got involved. Look, I got involved in cars in high school, like most people. Um, I had I worked uh, after school. I worked in a body shop. So, you know, I started off sweeping the floors and changing out windshields and doing inspections and eventually ended up in the paint room learning how to do body work. And that resulted in me building race cars and learning how to do all that. And I, I pretty much did all that even after I was married up through my second, third year of college, you know, race cars and and uh, worked on that stuff until, you know, I you know, got out of college and then had to have a, you know, had to get reality kicked in right <laughs> sounds like children yeah exactly so uh <laughs> but no it was i always had a passion i want to go back and build a build another 69 camaro uh i guess you call that my midlife crisis you know it's uh you know some that's people have other midlife crises mine was go build a car that's a great so, that's a great i need a boat that's what i'm gonna shoot for i think i'm gonna go boat when i get boat? to mine it's coming really quick Coming in hot. Well, Tal, we always wrap up uh, with with one question to our guests, and today's no different. With you being so passionate about things, I'm really excited how this is going to turn out. So, 
Uh, one thing we one thing we do tell you need to set the expectations a little lower. Let's let's set them a little lower. We talk about cars and we'd listen. I tell you what, uh, but Tal, we 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 live by something on the show, and that's that. You know, when we leave this place, we we can't take anything with us, and so our goal is to give it all away. Whether that's you know helping out our future generation of leaders or helping spread the gospel of whatever it might be. Yeah. Tal, you've got the floor. If you could give it all away, what's one thing you want to leave our audience with? Look, um, a, a lot of people in today's society uh, lack courage, and they allow fear uh, to either cause them to give up their freedoms and liberties, or they cause fear to keep them from uh, exhibiting the courage. Uh, to make a change, make it, make an influence. Uh, uh, people just need to not do that. I mean, I, I believe that uh, we're not given a spirit of fear, uh, but of sound mind. And uh, we need to stand on that as individuals and have the courage uh, to self-evaluate ourselves, you know, understand when we make mistakes, understand we're not perfect understand that uh, it's a process and that uh, we should never let fear in other words I don't care what you're doing in life there's always points in your life I don't care what it is it could be something very simple or it could be something very complicated where you will be hesitant and I, I would just tell people to test that hesitancy to see if fear is the motivation of the hesitancy now if it's if it's you're hesitating because if you're hesitating because you need more information or it's not clear, uh, that's not fear. That's that's good common sense and getting the information. But a lot of times people are hesitant because they literally are fearful of either being challenged or avoiding confrontation, uh, afraid of how they might be perceived. Um, you need to test that. And if and if that is the motivation, you need to you need to you need to rebuke that and you need to move on and, and, uh, and, and, and understand now, like I said, I think, and, and that's, I'll be honest with you. That was a big point in my life that changed when I finally got to the point, because I know y'all joke around and say, Hey, I've got passion and all these other kind of things. Um, but when, you know, coming from East Texas and growing up the way I did in a rural area, I literally could not speak in front of anybody. Uh, more than two or three people at a time. I, really? I would not be capable of, of even doing what we're doing here today. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it was fear. It was driven on fear. I had a fear of a microphone, fear of a TV, fear of speaking in front of anybody. Uh, and it wasn't until I came to that realization in Second Timothy that that, that fear was not coming uh, from a good place. And, uh, and once I realized that, uh, I got past a lot of my issues <laughs> as far as that goes. And, and I think that passion started pouring out more and more. So I would just encourage people to just not be driven by fear, you know, get the facts, understand what the issues are, make rational decisions. Emotions are good. Uh, we're all given emotions and they're, they're, they're great, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't make decisions on emotions. Uh, those emotions are good precursors to ask questions and they're good precursors to 
to uh, investigate and good precursors to discover new things. Uh, but they shouldn't be the they shouldn't be the core of how we make decisions. So, Jimmy, you heard it here first from Tal Centers. That's be awesome. Brave. Those be are brave. That, that, this has been great. Tal, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely appreciate it, guys. Enjoy it. All right. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. Y'all have a great have a great weekend. You bet. All right. For those joining us, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tal. I hope one day I get to ride in that car. Goodness come, gracious. Come on back. Come on what back. a story. I apologize. Tal, thank Jim's you falling that. apart. Jim's I, falling apart. It's like a little emotional after that whole uh, give it all away. Part. A little choked up. Anyways, thank you for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Tal, for joining us. And appreciate it. We'll see you next time with Coffee Jimmy James. Y'all stay safe. Mm -hmm.